Football is back, and so is winning season at MyBookie. Use promo code Gators at MyBookie.ag to claim your deposit bonus, and for a limited time, get a free chip to use in the MyBookie casino. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Gators Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gators50. Use code Gators50 for 50% off plus free shipping. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. And join me for one of the funnest episodes we do all year. Right, funny, funnest series we do all year. We'll do this before the season, and we take a look at it after the season the over-unders, our prediction episode right here. Joining me is co-host Will Miles. Well, we have a lot of fun with this one, and uh, we're, we're wrong a lot. We're right. I, I guess we're right a lot, too. But, uh, you know, this is uh, one, of, one of the funnest things that we've done since, uh, you know, we've started this podcast, something that we've done uh, for a few years now, and taking a look at some fun over-unders, some superlatives for the team. Um, we'll do some pre- record predictions, and we'll throw, even throw a new one in, our, our key game for this year as well. So a lot to look forward to, hey, this week as the Gators kick off, and a lot to look forward to in this episode as well. Yeah, man, had to get it on on Sunday so that people had some time to digest it before the game on Thursday. <laughs> like right, it's, right. it's it's funny because you sit here for months and months and months and wait for the game to come, and then it comes on a Thursday. And it just like completely disrupts my normal schedule in terms of like what's going on. So, um, you know, go to work tomorrow, and when it's done, you only got three more days till college football, man. And hopefully, everybody did like I did like six months ago, put in for PTO on Friday. <laughs> so you know. It, have a couple of adult beverages while you're watching the Gators beat Utah and then uh, sleep it off the next morning. That's the way to do it, man. That's right. That's right. Uh, won't spend too much time on it. Everybody stay kind of alert out there for the storm coming into the state of Florida. Looks like that's going to be a fast, uh, intense storm. Hopefully it won't get too bad here in, in, in the state. But everybody, you know, kind of just heed the warnings and do everything you can to stay safe, hopefully in the, in the coming days, and we can all enjoy some football together on Thursday. But, yeah, plenty to get into on this episode right here of Gators Breakdown. But, heck, you know, before we do, everybody hit that like button. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown if you haven't done so yet. But smash that like button, everybody watching us live on YouTube right now. Thank you. As Will said, joining us on a Sunday night, as he said, the schedule kind of changes this week with the game being on Thursday night. So glad everybody could uh, hop in here on a Sunday night with us. A little bit of change, uh, of course. And then uh, right now, also, if you can, just in case you missed it, um, GatorsBreakdown.com uh, uh, announced it earlier today. Seth Farnador is going to be a contributor this season for GatorsBreakdown.com. You can check out his deep dive into the Utah offense and a big question for the Florida offense as well. So really good work by Seth. Everybody go to GatorsBreakdown.com. Check that out. And also up there as well, Billy Napier focused on big picture for Florida Gators rebuild, going back to something he said last week, uh, last Friday uh, in a press conference about, uh, you know, the expectations at Florida. So that's what you can find at GatorsBreakdown.com right now. And, hey, speaking of that, too, also you can get the uh, – when you go be a member of Gators Breakdown Plus, that link is in the description. But 
you get a newsletter for GatorsBreakdown.com. So one more addition uh, to being a member of Gators Breakdown Plus. Extra episodes, ad-free episodes, access to the Discord chat, all that for being a Gators Breakdown Plus member. So, Will, you ready, man? Ready to get into this? All, all, all the fun we have right here? Let's do it. Let's be wrong. All right, here let's yeah. <laughs> let's be wrong. Let's be wrong. So we set I, I set this at 12 games. Sometimes I go 13 games because of a bowl game and all that stuff, but I kind of wanted to do 12 so we could revisit this after the final game of the season instead of waiting until after the bowl game and, and, and all that stuff. Well, we can have some fun with it if we need to after the bowl game. I'm going to 12 games here, 12 regular season games for our over-under. And Will, let's start at the quarterback position where we start every time here and 15 passing touchdowns for Graham Mertz. And that does not sound like a lot, but uh, I think you take a lot into this and uh, uh, maybe on the conservative side here. But I think when I go back and look at his numbers and Billy Napier's numbers, uh, 15 might be a, a good number here. Uh, you didn't fight me back too hard on some of these. So hopefully, hopefully the, the ever under number was pretty good for, for, for this, but uh I'm going over uh, the 15 touchdowns for Graham Mertz, and I, I, I want to go through Billy Napier's history one more time. I know we did this a little bit last year as well, but Andre Nunez in Napier's first season at Louisiana, he had 20 touchdown passes in his first season. Levi Lewis, 26. Yeah, in his first season, 19 and 11 games in 2020, and then he had 20 touchdowns in 21, and then we go to Anthony Richardson last year. He only had 17 uh, last season before we think this is too conservative. Uh, Mertz in 13 games in 2021 had only 10, Will, only 10 passing touchdowns for Graham Mertz in 2021. Last season in 12 games, he had 19, so he would have hit the over 15 uh, last year at Wisconsin. So I do think 15 numbers are a pretty good place here, kind of going back to Billy Napier's first season with a new quarterback in his first season at Louisiana. Mertz only hitting 13 in 2021. Richardson only 17 last year. 15, I thought was a little conservative, but when I go back and look at it, it might be a good number. I am going to go over. I'm looking at that. Uh, well, I think I'm looking at at least 17, 18 for Mertz. Yeah, I mean, I'm going way over here. Okay, I think. okay. So, you know, you mentioned he had 19 for Wisconsin last year. He wasn't really wasn't really wasn't very good for Wisconsin. They were also 89th in red zone efficiency last year. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that first down and second down, they weren't really able to run very much there at Wisconsin last year. He's going to have a much better running game this year. I think the little screens are going to be his friend mm -hmm. in the red zone. And despite some of his limitations, I think a lot of the like I have an expectation that the running game is going to open up some throws, right? That the, that he's going to get some touchdowns because teams start loading up against the run game, and all of a sudden play action, you can trust him in the little short game stuff um, that, that's going to get some touchdowns. The other thing is, I think they're going to play him quite a bit in those two games early on against the Cupcakes. Ah. I think there's going to be a desire to one ingratiate Mertz with the fan base, and two really sort of give him confidence heading into the the teeth of the schedule in those first four games. So I think he probably gets at least six touchdowns when you got those two cupcakes. And if you got six touchdown passes in two, then you only need then you only need nine more <laughs> for the entire season. So you're going Felipe Franks Charleston Southern 2018 route there. <laughs> Pretty much. That's what I'm thinking. I mean look Dan Mullen did it, right? He came in yeah. and he said Felipe Franks needs some confidence. I'm going to go out there and get that guy chucking the ball all over the place. And hey, he won't do it the rest of the year, but he'll do it in this one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I think you know, obviously he's going to have to he's going to have to play the entire season probably to get up over 15 passing touchdowns. But you know, I I just don't 
see a world where teams don't try to load up against the running game in the the red zone against Florida, which means Mertz is going to have to fit the ball in there, and I think he's going to do that. All right, everybody, I see uh, the comment. I I meant to say this before. I know I told everybody to like. I know I told everybody to subscribe. I know this is a very popular episode for everybody to comment on as well. So (laughs) load those comments up, whether you're watching this live, in the replay as well. Give me your thoughts on these over-unders right here. Uh, We'll play along and might even – you know, share some, uh, you know, maybe post episode. If I can follow along in the episode, I will, I will too. But, you know, Will and I go back and forth pretty good bit here uh, on this one. I'll try and highlight some uh, around the same time. But, all right, let's go. Will, I'll let you go first uh, this time. Over, under, and mostly Graham Mertz with this, you know, and I guess we could do team. Hopefully he doesn't get injured or anything like that. But I thought this was a little conservative as well. Over, under 2,100 yards passing. For Graham Mertz. Oh, so that's interesting. For team, I definitely would have taken over, but for okay. Mertz, I took the under. It's okay. 175 yards a game over 12 games. Um, he might also miss a game or two with injuries. You figure Georgia's going to be rough sledding. And, you know, I think Anthony Richardson had like 95 yards passing against them last year. So, or maybe that was two years ago. But uh, so there's a possibility that there's just one dud in there as well. 175 yards a game, though. I mean, you know, if you have a couple of 200 yarders and then you have a 150 yarder, you're sort of sitting right in that range. I think it's a pretty good number. Um, I, I don't think he's going for 2,800 yards. I think that's probably um, probably foolhardy. Like I said, he, he threw for 2,136 for Wisconsin last year mm-hmm. in 12 games. Is he going to be a little bit better? Maybe. Is he going to miss a game or two? Maybe. So I think 2,100 is a pretty good number, but I'm going to take the under on that one. Okay, there we go. We'll go first disagreement there. I, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go, but not not a whole lot. I'm, I'm looking, you know, 2,300. Uh, I think it's about where I'm at there for, for Graham Mertz. As you mentioned, Will, 2136 last year at Wisconsin. What gave me some reservation? 13 games in 2021. 1,958 yards for Graham Mertz there. So, look, I know we could throw into the different weapons, different offensive system. Anthony Richardson last year, 2549. So, you know, pretty good over there in his 12 games for Florida. Remember, he didn't play in the bowl game uh, there. So, he, he certainly the over. So, um, it does, you know, beg the question how much will Florida lean on the run game? How much will Florida have to lean on the run game? Which will probably go into some of our running back numbers here coming up. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I, I do think for Mertz, I'll go over 2100, not, not way over, and maybe even. Really on. I thought I thought it was a pretty good number there too. I, I did fight back and forth with this one, uh, mainly because of Graham Mertz's numbers as well uh, at Wisconsin, where he barely hit the over and then under uh, in, in 2021. That was in 13 games, with one extra game that I'm throwing in right here. So um, I'll, I'll go right over uh, there for Graham Mertz. So both of us were looking at the quarterback, took the over for touchdowns for 15. Will on the under for 21, 2100 yards passing. Over for me. Uh, mostly, we'll stick with Graham Mertz right there. So, um, I would go back to that too. Well, I mean, you look at you look at Billy Napier's numbers here. Levi Lewis, three thousand fifty yards in twenty nineteen. 29-17 in 2021. That was both 14 games, but still well over 2,100 yards. Uh, maybe the best comparison here would be with Levi Lewis. In 11 games, he had 22.74, so over as well in one less game than we're talking about here for Graham Mertz. Uh, Napier's first year at Louisiana, Andre Nunez passed for 22.72 in 14 games, so he probably would have been a little under uh, with, with, with 12 games or right at it maybe. So 
I mean, that's a twenty one hundred. I think is a pretty good number out there, given you go back to his Louisiana days as well as head coach. So you don't give me odds on this stuff, which which yes. maybe which maybe changes stuff, right? Like if it was under twenty one hundred, but I had to pay a giant vig to do that, then maybe I'd say no, nah, I'm not going to. But um, you know, the, the really to me, this is a hedge. I think fifteen passing touchdowns is something that he could get in six, seven, eight games. I think, and and even you know. Florida might be struggling and they might decide to make a change of quarterback, even if he's thrown for 15 touchdowns. I think 2,100 yards passing, taking the under there sort of gets you to that point where, hey, if he misses a game or two with injuries or if Florida decides to make a change, then you get that part of the under as well, beyond just the fact that if he goes out there and it's just sort of ho-hum, right? So I, I think there's... You know, you could also say, and I mean, I know I said that he's going to get the six touchdowns versus the two cupcakes, but th- that's also the time that you get a guy like Max Brown or the walk-on. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name that everybody's raving about in there. Um, you know, get him some time in those cupcake games, and maybe at that point you just go, look, Mertz is a redshirt junior, and he doesn't need that those sort of numbers. I I think there's a lot of different reasons you could take under on the twenty one hundred yards passing. Um, it's also possible we could be wrong on both of these. <laughs> these, <laughs> right? So, so I'm at least I'm I'm hedging. If you gave me odds, I'd take I'd take whichever one gave me better odds on each of them, probably. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe next year over under and odds with it. So uh, <laughs> we'll see we'll see how that works out. Uh, Got to make the gimmick better every year. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, man, this one's tough. Well, this is this uh, this one's really tough. We'll go. We'll move to the running game right here. Move off of quarterback and Graham Mertz right here, but. Over under average 200 yards rushing 200.2 last year for the Gators. That was including Montreux Johnson, Trevor Etienne, Anthony Richardson. And now not as mobile a quarterback, not as athletic as a quarterback, probably leaning on the run game. Cam Carroll is as now out as well. 200.2 with a, a run game that went, pretty well last year was chugging along pretty well last year uh and still only well i say only quote only 200.2 um and when i think we look at it this year thinking this run game could take an extra step you got trevor Etienne in his second year montreal johnson in his third year a lot of experience in this run game 200 rush over under right here 200 yards rushing over under I'm going over Will. I'm going to probably say I'm in that 215, 220 range right there, leaning on these running backs uh, a good bit. You know, I do wonder the how much this offense does change a bit. You know, does he lean on those two running backs a little bit more? I mean, this is the first time we've seen him without an athletic mobile quarterback in quite some time. Not a Levi Lewis, not an Anthony Richardson. So if the run game is going to be there, it is going to be mostly from the running backs. Uh, can the running backs together – uh, as you know, throw Trayon Webb in there now as well. Uh, can they get to over 200 yards a game? I, 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 I'm going over. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm cautious about it. Not to say I think the run game won't be good or, or, or be there, but you know, if Graham Mertz is a little better, if they rely on him a little bit more than I think they do, then maybe they don't get to 200 yards rushing. So uh, just out of curiosity and for, for posterity here, the 200.2, does that include the Oregon State game? Uh, I'm pretty sure it does. So I'll that means, sure. so that means they averaged like 230 yards before yeah, the uh, before that game because yes. they just got absolutely stuffed in that one. I am pretty sure. But while you're, <laughs> while you're discussing your angle of this, let me go make sure. 
So I, I think it's a question of how special you think ETN is, and I think he's special. I think Montreal Johnson is good. I think ETN is special. I'm expecting him to go somewhere between 1,200 to 1,500 yards this season. I think he's going to have a huge season back there if they can keep him healthy. And with Carroll out, that opens up even more opportunity. And so if you ask me right now, going into the season, last year, who did you want to get the ball to? You wanted to get the ball to Anthony Richardson, right? You wanted it in AR's hands. You wanted him chucking it down the field. You wanted him running the ball. This year, I think you want to get ETN the ball. And whether that's whether that's handing the ball off to him, whether that's screen passes, whether that's dump off passes when when the defense plays man to man and you have an opportunity to get him out in space. Um, heck, whether it's and this doesn't count towards the rushing yards, but whether it's having him return kicks, right? They are going to find many, 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 many different ways to get ET in the ball because he's the most he's the most dynamic player that they have, I think, right now on the field. Now maybe one of those freshman wide receivers will will give him a run for the money, run for his money on that. But I think I think he's special. I think we saw how special he was on some of those runs where you know he was able to make guys miss and turn you know a two yard run into a nine yard run, and you do that consistently over time when you get a bunch of touches and all of a sudden you get to 200 yards it doesn't even feel like you're there yet so i'm agreeing with you on this one dave i'm gonna take the over uh, but i think the over is more of a bet on etn than it is mm. a bet on the running game or the offensive line it's just i think the offensive line is gonna be able to miss a few blocks and ETN's still gonna make them look good i think he's gonna have a three four five explosive runs like he did against south carolina last year i think you're gonna look up and you're gonna go holy crap he's got like 10 carries for 180 yards like this is crazy and you know i, I think Honestly, the way floor is going to have to rely on the running game. Um, ETN's going to have to be special because otherwise it's going to get really stagnant, but I'm expecting him to do that. Yeah, well, that 200.2 was 13 games, by the way. So as you said, you know, that average was pretty <laughs> a little higher up there before the uh, Oregon State debacle uh, as far as that game goes. So, all right. Um, this one was pretty interesting, and this is any running back, so mainly Montreal Johnson, Trevor ETNs, who we're talking about here. Over, under... 13 carries a game. No running back did that last year. Johnson had about nine with 115 total carries. ETN also had about nine on 118 total carries. So, Will, I'll start with you again right here. Will Montreal Johnson or Trevor ETN? I don't think we see Trayon Webb getting more than, than either of those two guys unless some, you know, forbid an injury happened here. But with either one of those guys, I said the over-under at 13. Do you think either one of those guys will have more than 13 carries a game? I think both of them might, but, but, I, but <laughs> okay. I'm definitely thinking ETN's going to. You okay. can't say what I said in the last section without saying, hey, this guy's going to get a bunch of carries. And Look, I mean, I don't think that means you got to give him 32 carries a game or anything like that, right. but but 20 carries for a guy who you know has the possibility of putting up a 1,000-plus yard season I think is absolutely reasonable. And you know, this is going to be a team that's going to have to wear down the opposing defense and then sort of stick it to them in the fourth quarter. I don't think this is a team that's going to win a bunch of games 45 to 7 or even, you know, 45 to 38. I think, I think this is going to be a team that's going to want to win games 27, 21, 24 to 17, that sort of thing. And, and if that's the case, then you're going to give the ball to ETN. And, and so I, I suspect he's going to get way more than 13 carries a game. I think like 17, 18, 19. Now maybe he gets like two carries against the cupcakes and that drives the average down. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure they're going to have the, I'm not sure they're going to have the, the ability to do that. Right. I, I think they're just going to have to rely on these guys. And because their offense isn't going to be really explosive. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to have to rely on those running backs quite a bit. Well, I, I, I'd be interested to know, I'll bring this up to you. I'll bring this up to you. Maybe you can come back around. Does Cam, Cam Carroll being out change 
how you thought about this at all. Um, for me, it does. I got ET and Johnson getting at about 15 uh, a piece, and definitely now with Carroll being out. Not saying Trey on Webb can't be a good freshman. I think he'll be a, a pretty good freshman uh, in his own right. I don't know if he'll live up to the ETN billing. Uh, that's not fair to him. ETN was special <laughs> last year. That was not, not nothing to do with Trey on Webb right there. But now I think with Kim Carroll out, they'll rely on Johnson. They'll rely on ETN even more so now. Uh, and I do think, you know, even though, uh, both of them were about nine carries a game last year. I think we see more carries uh, this year for both those guys. So I think that I think they both get over the the twelve that I put right here, or thirteen, thirteen that I put right here. I mean, I think Carroll changes the dynamic just because you're like. I mean, I actually think the the dynamic it may change is that once they figure out that ETN's their offense, they're going to take him off of kick returns. But mm-hmm. I, I think I think the the reality is, is that there's just not enough balls to go around, or there might not have been enough balls to go around with Carroll back there. And now <laughs> you're sitting there with those two guys you're going to rely on. Is Webb going to get some carries? Absolutely, especially when they're up and when they have opportunities. But again, I don't think you can take your best playmaker off the field and in terms of like who makes guys miss in space. ETN's the only guy who's shown that thus far. Now, again, there might be some other guys who show that, but Johnson is, hey, foot in the ground, head straight up. You know, when there's an opening, he's going to break a big one, and, and I'm glad he's on the team. I think he's a good player, but I just look at ETN, and I, I think I would have even taken ETN to have over 13 carries just because of what I think of him as a player. Um, I, I think I would have had him at more than 13 carries even with Carroll, but this just sort of like cements it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you figure you're going you're gonna to want at least 30 carries a game. And even, and so if you split that evenly, then you're getting 15 each. And if you skew it in one direction or the other, I think you would skew it towards the same running back, right? You'd skew it towards the guy you think is going to give you the better shot at the home run play. And uh, so I suspect that, uh, you know, that's going to, again, the only way that gets drugged down is if you get like two carries in a game against McNeese and all of a sudden, you know, that two drags the average down. But I, I don't expect that to happen. They're going to have to give these guys, you know, even 10 rushes in games that are even considered cupcakes just to get the offense moving. All right. Uh, Trey Regas uh, in 2018 have 14.7. Uh, that's the leader uh, for, for a running back under Billy Napier. So uh, it will, you know, th- that's what 13, you know, even with a, a guy that's in the NFL, um, that's uh, 14.7. So about 15 carries a game uh, there in 2018. So uh, we all went uh, for wide receivers. Any wide receiver over under 45 catches. Um, no wide receiver had that last year. Closest one was Xavier Henderson with 38. Pearsall was next with 33. And, of course, uh, he was banged up a little bit last year. He's the clear number one guy. Um, so, you know, I'm leaving it here just based on numbers from Louisiana showing that it is attainable of why 45 is a good number. Uh, Raheem Malone had 44 in 2018. Uh, Jamarcus Bradley had 40 that year as well. So, I mean, yeah, two guys, um, at least over, you know, at, at least over 40. Malone had 60 the year after in 2019. So, certainly, if you got the receiver to do it, Billy Napier will key in on that receiver. Uh, Peter LeBlanc, only 37 and 21, as that ball was spread out well among five players in Billy Napier's last season in Louisiana. So over under any wide receiver, 45 catches. I'm going over Will. I think Ricky Pierce saw, I say probably easily gets at least 45 catches this year. Oh, you, you threw me for a loop there. I thought you were going under with all those numbers you threw at us. Oh, no. 
I mean, look, I'm taking the under here. Pearsall had 33 catches last year, and I would have considered him the main target. Um, he's returning punts. He tends to run medium and downfield routes, so he might get injured while he's while he's running punts and miss a game or two. He also, you know, medium and downfield, not exactly the specialty of Graham Mertz. If you've watched his tape at Wisconsin, I suspect the three freshmen are going to take some catches away from him. If I'm the defense, especially early on, I'm double teaming him. And so that's going to open up others if Mertz is doing his job and he doesn't force the ball. But that means Pearsall is the guy that you sort of think is the sure-handed guy who's going to get it all the time. Look, I mean, there are some routes you can run to sort of get the ball to him, but those are like those are like uh, the little thing where he comes around and you sort of shovel it to him. I, I don't know that that's something that Pearsall necessarily ex- excels at. I think that they're going to do stuff to open him up over the middle of the field. But just look, I think if I'm a defense, I'm daring daring the Gators to throw to anybody else right now. And I'm going to put my best corner on Pearsall. I'm going to shade over there and double team him. And I'm going to make Graham Mertz go someplace else. And until he proves that he can, I'm not going to come off of that. And so um, I, Mertz is going to make or break Pearsall season. If Mertz comes off early in the Utah game and is able to get the ball to all the other guys as opposed to Pearsall and sort of loosens it up, then maybe Pearsall gets this. But I think it's going to be a, a long haul. I think 45 catches is a lot to ask from any wide receiver in this particular offense. So I'm going to take the under. All right. There we go. Hey, we're going uh, not agreeing a lot right here or with, uh, with all these. So this, this would be fun at the end of the year when we come back together with this one. Yeah, I've learned to mark down what you said because last year I didn't mark down what you had put down. So now I've got to mark it down in my notes here. What I had, and what you had. That way, that way we can. It's like it's like the end of the year. I always go back and look and see how I did against uh, like picking the games. I do really well straight up, but against the spread the last two years, I've just been five hundred. So uh, you know. well, it's not like I can, lie, I can lie about it. This episode lives the whole time. So. <laughs> Yeah, but nobody goes back and listens to this afterwards. Maybe a couple of people who just want to torment us, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's keep it going right here on offense, Will. Offense, over under 30 points per game. Last year, a year ago, went with 35 points per game. The number was not even 30, Will. 29.5 points per game for the Gators last season. Uh, so I thought 30 was a good number uh, to, to go with right here. And, man, did, I, I go back and forth uh, on this one. And maybe I'm feeling pretty good about the offense. I'll go over one more time here. Uh, maybe I'm feeling optimistic about where this is headed. But, you know, not by a whole lot. You know, 30, 32 uh, points per game right here uh, for this offense. I do wonder, and we saw it this past weekend with the Week 0 games, the game does move a little faster now, and Florida's going to be a running team. So, you know, how does that affect scoring? I think, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't think a, a whole lot does uh, the, when you look at the entire game. But for an offense like Florida who may rely on the run game, maybe the games get a little shorter, uh, and, you know, maybe 30, 30 points per game doesn't mean what it used to mean. Uh, but right here, we'll, I'll, go, I'll go over. I'll have 31, 32 points per game for these Gators this year. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to agree with you barely. I mean, I'm thinking like 30.1 or 30.2 <laughs> points per game. Write that one down for sure. <laughs> 30, 30 points per game would have been 44th last year. Um, but when it when you look at Florida, their yards per play, they were ranked 29th. That typically sort of, sort of – 
prognosticates what you're going to get for points. And it wasn't, they were in like the mid sixties. Um, and the point is, is that the offense can take a step back and still average 30 points per game just because they're being a little bit more efficient. And for all of Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones's even positives, they didn't convert all the yards that they got into points. There were a lot of games where Florida mm-hmm. was winning 27, 24 or losing 29, 27, where the team quite honestly should have had 34, 37, 44 points. And they didn't necessarily do that on a regular basis. The other thing is they play some teams, Utah, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt have bad defenses. And so I think there's going to be an opportunity to really run up some points against some teams that just don't have very good defenses. And, um, you know, I, I think we sort of think of some of these teams and say, oh, they'll have an okay defense other than Vanderbilt. But Arkansas was just terrible last year. Vanderbilt's was just terrible. Tennessee, we talked about last week that they're and not we saw, have- And we saw Vanderbilt's just yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And, and that Tennessee, they're not going to have anybody in the secondary, that their t- 2021 recruiting class just doesn't exist. And then Utah, and I'm going to write about this in my preview, Utah, their defense was smoke and mirrors last year. It was really bad. And so I think there's going to be an opportunity for Florida to take advantage of that. I think there will be some hiccups. I think there will be some games where they score 20, 21, 22 points, and you're sitting there going, oh, God, is this thing ever going to get going? But um, you know, I think there's also going to be a couple of games where they score 45, and and I think there are going to be some defenses where they're able to do that. So um, you, you factor in the two cupcakes as well, and all of a sudden you're getting to 30. But again, just barely. I don't think they're going to be over that every game, but I think they'll probably average it when you, when you factor in the entire season. Uh, if we want to, if it makes sense, at Louisiana, 34 points per game in 2018, 38 points per game in 19, 33.6 in 20, and 31.1 is last season there. So he would have been over 30 every year at Louisiana. Uh, and then it was 29 and a half of the Gators last season. So it's around that area. So 30 is probably a pretty good number to go by uh, when you go to Billy Napier's history and what Florida did last year as well so yeah a lot of fun right here guys thanks for the comments sliding them in here uh trying to get a lot of them up right here hey look we gotta we, we gotta get other side of the ball to talk about but before we do you guys know you got the you got you got the taste of it preseason you got some week zero games football is back and so is winning season at my bookie nfl college football and the brand new cash out system gives you options to bet and win all season long First two legs of your parlay hit, well then, cash out early. Use the funds on another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. Use early cash outs as a tool to stay in control of the action at MyBookie to get started. Go to MyBookie.ag now and register for a free account. When you're ready to make your first deposit, use promo code GATERS to grab a welcome bonus on the house. That's promo code GATERS to claim your deposit bonus for a limited time and get a free chip to use in the MyBookie casino. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at MyBookie. Engagers Breakdown is proud to partner with America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. I received my HelloFresh meals not long ago. It was a hit with the family. You know, working a full-time job to go along with bringing you, all, bringing you guys all Gators Breakdown. I need all the time I can get. And I know you guys are busy out there as well with school back in session, football season starting. So HelloFresh wants you to have it all. Free time, easy, and fresh, tasty food. That's why they take care of the meal planning and deliver the ingredients so everything you need to whip up a delicious meal arrives right at your door. When you need dinner fast, don't call for delivery. Think HelloFresh. Their fast and fresh recipes are ready in just 15 minutes or less. Our favorite meal so far, the Beef Lata Supreme. That smoky red pepper cream, man, that really just set it off. Right now, it's time to join. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gators50. Use code Gators50 for 50% off plus free shipping. 
Get your time back with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right, Will, let's get back to it. And, man, the defense. This is uh, something <laughs> we, 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 we want to see impress. Uh, I think it was hard to come up. For, for me, it was hard to come up with some of the numbers here because I think we expect improvement. We want to see improvement so bad. We haven't seen it in three seasons now. Where is if you expect improvement, where should we set the numbers? So maybe I said them right, maybe I said them wrong. We'll see here. Defense, I'm going to go 25 points per game. Uh, and going back to last year, the Gators gave up 29 points in 13 games last season. 25th gets the team around 50th ranked in defensive points per game. So, uh, you know, if we go back, Austin Armstrong a little bit as, as well, and given his history. His first year at Southern Miss, 30 and a half points per game. That was good for 88, but then raised it up in 2022, his last season there, down to 24.7. That was good for 44th in the country last year. Can he do it year one at Florida? 25 points per game is where I set the over under. I go back and forth on this one, Will. I'm probably going to go... I don't know, man. <laughs> this this one this one's tough. I didn't I did not pre predetermine where I was going to go during the episode with this. So I could take the easy way out and say push. I could keep going pretty optimistic. Look, glass half full. Look and say under. But I, I, I'm probably going to go over. Will I'm going to go around 26, 27. All right. I just think it's asking a lot uh, to to come in and instantly improve points per game wise. Uh, maybe with this defense I, around this number, I think 25 is a good number. Um, I think if you get around 24, 25, 26, you can still win some games where I think the offense is going to average, you know, that over 30. Uh, but Gavers last year gave up 29 points. You know, we expected immediate improvement with Patrick Tony coming away from Todd Grantham. We didn't get it, uh, but uh, I, I'll go just a hair over here, unfortunately, for the Gators defense. And so I went over barely for the offense. I'm going over barely for the defense and the 25 points per game. Like you said, 25 points per game, that would have been 47th last year. Mm-hmm. I think the D takes a step forward. I just don't think they come that far. I think there's there isn't really any reason that I have to believe that the defense is going to be locked down. Um, I, I think the complete bus are going to be gone. So the things like where, where uh, you know, you just got Trey Dean not guarding the wide receiver going straight down the field against Tennessee, like those sorts of things may go away. But Armstrong is going to give up some big plays. Like his entire history is going full bore after the quarterback on third downs. The difference will be that when, when he does it and he's – got to cover zero and they give up a big play it'll at least be intentional as opposed to just being like <laughs> half the defense thinking they're in a zone and the other half being thinking they're being in man um i think there's going to be some shootouts I, I think there will be some opportunities here for i'm not sure that florida's going to win those shootouts i said earlier i didn't think they were going to win the shootouts i think they'll probably get into a couple of them though and and the question will be um you know turnovers and all those sorts of things but now, I, I think if if he ends up at like 22, 23 points per game, I mean, Armstrong's going to be a head coach next year, <laughs> given what we saw last year. So I, I so I, I think they take a step. I think they take a step, but I think it's just a step. And so, you know, sitting there in the 25 and a half, 26 points per game, I think that probably puts you right around where this is probably going to be. All right, Will, let's keep it going. And one we used to have a lot of fun with, with uh, old defensive coordinator Todd Grantham a little bit. And, hey, I got we're going to go back to 30 
sacks. Uh, went last year just because of you know coming off of Todd Grantham. Florida was still able to get to the quarterback a good bit, uh, but in last year, I did say thirty-seven was the over-under last year, and man, Florida was nowhere even close to it last year. I think it was the first time I had got it wrong because got, got I think we had been able to just bank on it for a Florida defense. I didn't think that was going to go away when we thought the defense was just in, would improve with Todd Grantham going away, but it did not. Uh, Florida only had 23 last year, uh, way off on that. So it picked it over, so I think 30 is a good number here, and... I'll go over, Will. I'll, I'll go over on the 30 sacks, given Austin Armstrong's aggressive personality, the move of you know Princely there at the at the edge spot, and a little experience, him coming off of um, a pretty good end of season last year as well. I like some of the Pyburn coming up as a young option as well to get to the get to the quarterback. Uh, we, we've heard all spring they've kind of been leading in, leading, living in the backfield uh, there for uh, So I'm going to say over under 30 sacks, I'm going with over. I'm going way over. I think, oh, you know, okay, you, you, I mean, you mentioned 37 used to like the funny part is, is if you look back over the last three or four years, I think you started out at like 32 and yeah. Florida had like 40 sacks. So you moved <laughs> yeah. it to 34 the next year, they had 40 sacks. Then you moved to 37 and all of a sudden the bottom fell out. I, Southern Miss had 3.3 sacks per game last year. UF only had 1.8. Um, so right in the middle would be 31 sacks. If you took an average of those two. I think Princely Human Milan's gonna have a gonna take a big step forward on the defense. I think he's gonna be asked to drop into coverage less often. I think he showed an ability to win one on one battles last year at times. And I think, you know, the the reality is is being in a scheme that starts to put him in a position to really pin his ear, ears back and go after the quarterback is gonna give him some some real benefits. And I think the the big thing is that the guys in the middle, like just it makes such a big difference when the guys yeah. in the middle don't get pushed back because all of a sudden the defensive end doesn't have to do nine different things. And so Jervon Dexter, for all of his good things, by the time the second half came around last year, was just gassed. And so having guys in the center of that defense is going to free up the guys on the outside, going to free up the buck linebacker, going to free up the middle linebackers to blitz every once in a while. And Armstrong's bringing them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you may end up with drives where you see three sacks and an 80-yard completion for a touchdown all at one time against this Florida defense because that's just his MO. He does not back down. And, in fact, I think one of the things one of the things that will be curious to me is can Napier get him to sort of calm down a little bit? There was something I put in our preseason magazine that showed – that that showed him going. They were, I think, they were up on Louisiana twenty nine to two or something like that with three minutes left in the half. Cover zero defense. It's it's like it's like that's who Austin Armstrong is. He's coming, and if you got a quarterback back there who doesn't know what to do when someone brings the house, he's going to get a bunch of sacks. I'm going way over. I think he tries to create havoc. I think he's aggressive at all times, and that havoc is going to lead to a lot of sacks and tackles for loss. The question will be how often do they get burned? That's a different question. And in terms of actually getting the sacks, I'm, I'm taking the over and I'm taking it pretty convincingly. We're talking offense or defense right here, Will. And I, I just can't, it's so hard for me. I, I go back to the 25 points per game because I, I, man, I think, I think they do take steps, but I'm, I, I'm at the same time. It's just like this, you know, if I'm thinking offense is around 30 points per game, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, as you said, going back to your previous point. 30 27 games 27 24 games i mean if the if if the numbers uh, but as you said i think if they get over 30 sacks but they're giving up over 25 points per game as you said well 
It's probably because of the the big plays are given up because of, well, of that as well. So Armstrong was 114th at Southern Mississippi last year in 20-plus yard plays allowed, 121st in 20-plus yard passing plays allowed in the country. For a defense that was actually really good from an EPA perspective, they were at .09, which is yeah. really good. And they were fourth in sacks, third in tackles for loss, and seventh in interceptions. So havoc, getting turnovers, and giving up a ton of big plays. Like, that's what you should expect this year. So when you see a score where Florida loses or wins, let's say Florida wins 27-24, I'm betting two of those three touchdowns are going to come on explosives just because that is his MO. The corners are going to be on an island, and they need to expect to be on an island because when you watch the film of Southern Miss, the corners are on the island a lot. And, you know, we're going to see if they can hold up. I think they're going to just going to be times, look, not every corner holds up. And back shoulder throws are going to be opposing offenses' friends. I think you're going to see a lot of back shoulder throws against this offense or against this defense as well. But you got to let guys get downfield if you want to take advantage of that one to one coverage. And when you're letting guys get downfield, the quarterback has to hold the ball. When the quarterback holds the ball, guys get home. So I think it's sort of a double edged sword. I think one of the reasons uh-huh. the sack numbers are so high is because offenses are going for it. But I also think one of the reasons why Armstrong's defenses are successful is because while the quarterback and the offense is going for it, they get there and put a helmet in his back. So um, I think we're going to see a little bit of that this year. I I think we're going to see a little bit of both this year, or maybe a lot of both this year, where you're going to see a bunch of sacks, a bunch of plays, a bunch of things that get you excited. And then the next play, you're going to see something where you go, oh, crap, we just just gave up a 70-yard play. And we're just going to have to live with it, right? Like, that's who he is. So it's going to be the good and the bad with Austin Armstrong, and we're going to have to live with it because he's ultra, ultra aggressive. Yeah, we say that's who he is, and I I tend to agree with you. I do wonder if it changes a bit because of what he does have at Florida. I mean, say he does have a front four that just dominates, and he doesn't have to bring five, six guys, and he can let those guys play uh, more in coverage as well. You know, more of the simulated pressures and all that good stuff where, you know, it's it's four guys. You just don't know the four that are coming. Uh, I, I do wonder if, like, he felt the need to have to do it at Southern Miss to kind of stay in those games and maybe make up for a, a lack of defensive talent. And don't get me wrong, you know, the talent equivalency there, uh, it's, it's still kind of, you know, their Southern Miss is compared in talent to all the teams that they play, just like Florida and the teams that they play. So he may stick with that, but I do wonder um, with uh, an increase in talent and maybe athleticism that he has at, with the Florida defense that maybe he doesn't have to be as of, as aggressive. And I do wonder if it changes his mindset a little bit. Maybe, but was Florida all that good at preventing big plays last no, year either? No, no, right. right. So I mean, yep. a- again, you sort of got to go with what what we think Florida has, and you know, you've got Kamari Wilson and, and Miguel Mitchell stepping into the safety position really for the first time. Maybe you've got um, R.J. Moten in there as well. But again, you've got brand new safeties. You're going to have somebody coming in, either Kimber or uh, or Devin Moore on the other side of Jason Marshall as a brand new corner on the other side. So I, I look at and, and go, Castell as well as a true freshman who's Apparently turning heads at safety as well, but going to your point, new, new, new defense and experience. <laughs> exactly. Well, and and so I again, I sort of go back to if you're if you're bringing in new guys and you're trying to get them to be able to understand the scheme and understand what you're trying to do. Man's easier than zone, yeah. especially if you're playing like match quarters type stuff where guys have to know when guys flash in and out of their zones and those sorts of things. So you know, you just say bump and run, man to man, run with him, use your athletic ability. That's a lot easier to teach. It's a lot easier to get guys to do effectively. And quite honestly, I think 
in most cases, Florida's probably going to have an athletic advantage on the outside. Maybe not when you play Georgia, maybe not when you play LSU, but for the rest of the year, Florida should have just as good athletes out there on the outside as anybody else. And so with that being the case, yeah, I'd sit there and say, if my corners are going to be out there, yeah, maybe I have a deep safety, but do I need do I need two deep safeties if I'm doing that? But then it comes back to the running game, right? So, um, and it goes back to those guys in the middle. I mean, all year long, I've been saying, all offseason long, I've been saying Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks, um, you know, Chris McClellan, mm-hmm. all those guys are going to be the key to this defense. If those guys hold up, if those guys move the pocket, if those guys stop the running game and let the linebackers run all over the place, well, then coverage will be fine. And maybe you do change up a little bit because you don't need to bring guys from from all over the place. But look, Florida hasn't been able to get to the quarterback without tricking people in about a decade. And until that change, well, I guess since John Grenard was there. So until yeah. that changes, until you've got a guy who can just one-on-one on the outside, get around the edge, you're going to have to blitz. I think Armstrong is going to do that early. And and even if he doesn't, right, <laughs> in terms of this one, the over-under, where we're talking 30 total sacks, yeah. if he's got a guy on the edge who's beating him front four, yeah, exactly. they're going to get yeah. to their 30 sacks, regardless yeah. of whether Armstrong dials it back a little bit. Maybe we should have went over under Princely Human Miel and three interceptions. <laughs> oh my God. If he's in coverage, I'm just gonna throw something. <laughs> he did have a pick in the scrimmage when uh, but it was a it was a deflection off of Cam Jackson and, and he and he picks it off. So uh yeah. Oh, Give I have no problem. I have no problem with the human meal and going the other way, right. like jumping up, deflecting it, <laughs> intercepting it, that sort of stuff. But if he's out in the flat playing something like they had Antoine Powell Ryland last year against Tennessee, yeah, my I, I so one of my uh, one of It'll my colleagues at work made me an orange and blue. Um, it's a bomb, like a little like a little knitted bomb, and it's got a big right. F on it. And yeah, that thing gets chucked around the house a little bit when the defense is doing things that I don't like. From please, t- please tell me it has the F on it, and you call it the F bomb. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put a picture on Twitter, man. I got it upstairs. Everybody uh, can take everybody, a look. The, the, the X, F-bomb. whatever the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you do you throw it during games? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we get, we gotta market this. The <laughs> F bomb. Well, there you go, man. I got, to- I'm wearing I'm wearing the shirt now, so we got to get the rights from Florida to put this F on it. But the, we're 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 gonna put out the F bomb, and hopefully, we don't have go, to man. use it a whole lot. <laughs> uh, well, hey, a new one, but we probably should have been doing this the whole time anyway. Uh, but we would have been epic fails with Todd Grantham for this one. But um, but it was not pretty last year either for the Florida defense. And we're gonna go over under for a rank for third down conversions. I'm gonna go over under 60th. That will be the ranking we go with right here. Florida ranked 129th last season, giving up. Near 50%. So this is percentage that we're going by right here, but going by percentage ranking. And Florida ranked 129th last year. Uh, and I'll throw, let me find the graphic again. I'll throw it back up for Austin Armstrong. It was 37.8% last year. That was good for 54th in the country. So I'm asking if Florida can get to 60th. Will, I should go first. Yeah, I think they're going to get it. I think they will be, I mean, I guess under 60. Correct. Yeah, I know um, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think so. I, I think just like I think the feast or famine is going to be interesting for everybody to watch, I think the feast or famine is going to make bad quarterbacks look bad. 
Mm-hmm. And what that really amounts to is guys are going to rush. You get them in third and tens, and all of a sudden you get the ball a little out. Even though the guy's open, you launch it over his head. Um, you know, you don't wait for a guy to come open over the middle because you're worried about who might be coming there. If you've got you know 37, 38 sacks, and I'm taking the way over on that again, you're getting happy feet back there as a quarterback. And I also think that after a couple of sacks, you're going to have a bunch of things where like you run a draw on third and 14, third and 15. And Florida is able to actually make the stop this year when a when a draw is run on on third and eighteen, so I, I think they're going to get more stops than they have in the past. I I don't think third down is going to be necessarily just this like giant <laughs> giant thing that we worry dread. about the entire game <laughs> that we dread the entire game. Um, I, I, again, I don't think this defense is going to be lights out, but I think what's what's going to improve is that they are going to make the quarterback uncomfortable. Making the quarterback uncomfortable will make their third down conversions better, and they'll be able to get more stops. Uh, yeah, if we go back to one more time, Southern Miss in 2020 was ranked 119th. Austin Armstrong comes in in 2021. They raised all the way up to 69th. So, yeah, I thought 60 was a good one as well. Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. Florida will be better than 60th uh, in the country when it comes to third down conversions nowhere near 50 (laughs) percent like we saw uh last year and under previous regime as well so all right here's some fun ones that was hey there we go over unders right there Uh, we'll take a peek at those uh numbers wise how right wrong we were uh on those but now we get to have a little more fun uh when we go player specific right here and Ultimate game changer. Usually we just do one. I decided to do offense and defense this year just to kind of uh, change it up just a bit. Ultimate game changer on offense. Well, is it just as easy as Trevor Etienne for you? Uh, I think it is for me as well. Uh, the big run versus South Carolina last year. Uh, immediate. Uh, I do think, um, of course, you could probably go – freshman receiver but we haven't seen it yet uh i I will go more proven here ultimate game changer Uh, i'm ready to see what he does in his second year uh just the growth of him he knows he says he he wants to be better as a pass blocker learning how to do that part of the game so he's on the field a little bit more uh, as well bigger faster stronger in year two another year in the weight weight room strength and conditioning here for the Gators for Trevor Etienne. Yeah. I think uh, when you, I think if you want to label somebody who you've seen do it and who can get better in his second season, who will be the ultimate game changer for the Gators. I think we got to go Trevor Etienne. Well, I mean, I'll, go, I'll go Trevor Etienne. Well, I have Etienne too for a couple of different reasons. One is that most of the time guys who make freshmen, all sec teams, immediately make a jump and become elite SEC players. And so the guys you're really looking for at Florida for that are ETN and Shamar James. Those are the guys who made the freshman all-SEC teams, and those are the guys that you should probably expect jumps from this year. Um, Look, ETN was good last year. I think he averaged more than six yards a rush. He's going to be great this year if he can stay healthy. Again, I just look at it and I say, he's going to get way more chances. And that 80-yard run against South Carolina, like the C only parts every once in a while on those sorts of things. Right. And I'll be honest, he probably should have taken that run where he fumbled against Utah last year to the house as well, except that he got sort of got knocked on the side, fumbled the ball and, and hopefully learned something from that as well. We didn't see many fumbles from him the rest of the year, but there were a, there were a few opportunities for him to take the ball to the house and he was able to do it when those opened up. I think this year he's going to get more opportunities to do that just because he can get more overall opportunities. And, you know, if he averages six yards per carry and he rushes 20 carries, uh, you know, 
20, mm. 20 rushes a game, all of a sudden you're talking a guy who's, you know, elite of the elite of the elite running backs in the country. And that's who I think he is. I think he's that good. So yeah, I think, yeah, we can take a guy like Pearsall. If it turns mm. out to be Graham Mertz is the ultimate game changer, then we're talking about how <laughs> Billy Napier's like the best coach in, in the country. Um, best offensive coordinator. Nobody be yelling at him to get somebody in to come in and coordinate his offense. But I, look, they're going to rely heavily on the running game. It's either ETN or Montrell Johnson. We look at who's going to be the game-changing guy, and ETN, to me, is more special than Johnson. Again, I think Johnson's a really good back. I think ETN is special. Mm. And, and so having him back there, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. All right, Will, uh, I'll let you go first on defense, the ultimate game changer for the defense. Yeah, I mean, I really – and I hope the injury doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't change things here, but I think Shamar James is the guy that you look mm. for. Again, same thing, right? A guy who made the All-SEC freshman team, who you're ready to see take that second step, who now knows this scheme because they didn't really change the scheme. They could be a little bit more aggressive, and all of a sudden he's now got a lot of beef up front. So that he doesn't have to take in that take on that pulling guard coming around because the offensive line or the defensive line has sort of set the offensive line back. He's going to have an opportunity to shoot some gaps and get into the backfield. A lot of tackles for loss, and he's got the speed to go sideline to sideline. Florida has not had a guy at linebacker with the speed to go sideline to sideline a really long time. So you know, again, obviously, you know, health is a concern there. But I, I just look at it and say, in terms of the guy who's going to change the game, there's going to be an opportunity when he's got an ability to shoot the gap and hit a running back on a third and two, where otherwise it would have been a first down. There's an opportunity where he's going to get a decision where the running back stays in and he goes, oh, well, now I don't have to take the running back. I can make a beeline for the quarterback and he's going to put a helmet in his back. And I think he's going to have the freedom to do that. So that's who I'd take as the game changer on defense is Ishmael James. All right, I am going. I'm going Princely. I know we discussed him a little bit early, so I'm going to go with this new offense, with this new defense, uh, and then the the aggressive scheme, then shedding the weight, getting in shape for this specific role for Princely. Uh, I think it's going to fit him very well. Really came on at the end of last year, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, something to build on for him. Uh, more of now, I've as I didn't look. Don't forget the coaching kind of changed up there as well. You know, and they've kind of identified the way to coach better up there where Mike Peterson gets the the edge and the outside linebackers and Sean Spencer gets more of the defensive line. I think now that kind of focused approach from the coaching staff as well will really unlock something more uh, for somebody like Princely, you, and me, Ellen. So uh, Princely, uh, I'm going there for my ultimate game changer. So let's take it to breakout player. We'll go first right here on offense and I'd love to go Graham Mertz here, as you said. Uh, if if he's the ultimate game changer or if he's the breakout player that we're laying at the end of the year, Florida's done some good things on offense, but I don't know how I go anywhere else. But all this talk of these true freshman wide receivers and go Trey Wilson. Uh, yeah, man, look, not the guy who was in, in spring like Andy Jean and Aiden Mizell, but the guy who just came on in fall camp. But from everything that we've been able to gather, everything we've been able to see in open portions of practice, the open practice Florida has, looks like they're going to find ways to get him the ball. I think that element of surprise against Utah – I think will kind of be apparent uh, for somebody like him as well. I think we'll know early and often that he can probably be the guy who lives up to this potential. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I, I think we'll probably get a lot of love for this one <laughs> for the breakout player uh, being Trey Wilson. But I mean, look, Florida's got a slew of transfers. Florida not really at skill skill spots since Cam Carroll went down, of course. Uh, you know, except for Graham Mertz right here. But uh, well. I, I'd love to go offense here, though, or offensive line here a little bit and say somebody like Najee Harris uh, as a true freshman going from spring, and we've heard he's been in the rotation and fall. It's kind of hard to maybe 
see that for an offensive lineman now. I think we could have said Austin Barber last year with what he was able to do. So if Najee Harris is doing something like that along the offensive line, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy we're talking about for breakout player at the end of the year. But I think for something we can all tangibly see pretty easy with our own eyes, I'm going Trey Wilson, wide receiver, true freshman. Yeah, so I had Wilson too, but I'm going to go – or I, at least I had considered Wilson, but uh, I also wrote something a couple of weeks ago about true freshman wide receivers again, again for a preseason magazine, but the um, true freshman wide receivers don't typically catch a whole bunch of balls. They just don't. It's not the way it works. Now, obviously these guys are going to get a chance. Everything we've heard is that these guys are going to break out. Um, at the same time, I think it's pretty clear that floor is going to need a second or a third wide receiver to step up. So I think that's sort of le- – and and I, I think if you don't think the freshmen are going to do it, then that means you're looking at Frazier's. That means you're looking at Douglas. That means you're looking at Burke. So right. I'm going to take Jaquavery and Frazier's. I, I thought he looked good last year. He made an awesome catch against Texas A&M, the one he was actually hurt on. Mm, right. And I, and I think he was the next guy in when Justin Shorter got hurt. Right. So they had those three wide receivers. It was funny because in Dan Mullen's heyday – They'd have the they'd have four wide receivers out there, and then the next drive they'd have a new four wide receivers out there, and we wonder why Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony were sitting on the sideline for major stretches of the game. And last year it was just the starting three, right? <laughs> it was the starting three wide receivers, and nobody else broke in until they started to get hurt. And Frazier's was the first guy in. So you know, if I'm looking at it and I'm saying it's not going to be a freshman wide receiver because they typically don't step up and break out, then it's going to be one of these other guys. And I think Frazier showed last year that when he can stay healthy, he brings something to the offense. It's just going to be a question of can he stay healthy? And and uh, but I think he's sort of primed to be able to do that. I think they thought he was the next best wide receiver. They had last year and then it just didn't work out because of the injuries but he's going to get another opportunity this year i'm glad you went with the the receivers who have been on the roster i've i was going that way a little bit too and i'm glad i'm, I'm going i'm going marcus burke as a different one there I and mean, a, a downfield threat there for the gator so hey look we've kind of maybe pegged a little you know, a few players here if hopefully they all in some way are, are some breakout players there for the gators in, in this offense but i think we're all kind of basically looking at receiver here if a player is going to break out uh that that is going to come from that receiver group true freshmen or guys who just haven't had um, the opportunity or just haven't done so yet. Uh, well, all this, all this is sort of indicated or is, is under the assumption to me that ETN is already broken out. Like yes. we consider him a breakout yeah, player. Yeah, do, now, yes. I mean, that is the thing I, I did say earlier that maybe he goes for 1500 yards. I mean, maybe you call that a breakout if he goes for 1500 yards because he, he certainly didn't yeah. do that last year. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, ETN is going to be the big threat. The question is going to, and Pearsall is going to be a solid threat. The question is, how do you get guys off of Pearsall and off VTN? There's going to have to be other guys who who step up. And again, I, I think Frazier's was the guy who they thought was the best wide receiver among the guys who were coming back. Um, you know, He was the first one to step in when there was an injury, so I, I'm going to think he's going to sort of be in that same stead this year. I got to give Chris Sorley a shout out here because all the love I gave Arliss Boardingham in the spring, how in the world did I not say him uh, in this tight end spot? So, uh, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. Hey, here we go again. As I just said, we're whether it be receivers would be on the roster, or true freshmen, and now, you know, tied in in Boardingham as well. I mean, look, it is, you know, that. There, there are a lot of candidates here, and hopefully, that, that's, hopefully that's good news for Florida. Well, I think there are multiple players we are looking at in this situation that can break out. Maybe they all, in some sort of group collective way, do this, and that you know, elevates this Florida offense as a whole. Maybe there is not this one standout 
you know, you have to prepare for the whole offense. You have to prepare for a slew of wide receivers. You have to re- prepare for a tight end that's kind of coming earth and this running game that we just speak of as well. You know, maybe maybe it's a good thing that we can kind of peg a few different players here. Yeah, I mean, look, I think th- a lot of people are going to get opportunities. I think yeah. the question of how how much a breakout we get is all still going to go back to Mertz, right? <laughs> it's going to go correct. back to the guy who's pulling the yeah. trigger, yeah. getting them the ball, and that'll determine the size of the breakout. But look, there's going to be plenty of opportunity, just like there always is in college football, right? There's so much turnover every year. It's really rare that you bring a team back incredibly whole from the year before. Um, it happens every once in a while, but it's pretty rare. And so Florida has a lot of turnover, intentionally so, in the Billy Napier era, right? They, they ran off some guys who maybe um, would still be playing, and that's different than what Dan Mullen did, right? He sort of sustained with the Jim McElwain guys for a few years, and we've been talking about that for a while. But what that means is, look, there's like – Three quarters of the scholarship players are true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, true sophomores, or redshirt sophomores. So these guys who haven't played very much yeah. are going to be playing because there's nobody else left. So, um, you know, going to have to get ready. All right. Uh, we'll go first. Breakout player for the defense. Yeah, so I'm going to take Jalen Kember. Now, I realize that Devin Moore may end up being the corner who's opposite. So maybe I'm taking a Kimber Moore combination. Mm. But I, I think Jason Marshall on one side, I think he's really going to step up. And when he steps up, they're going to put him one on one on the best wide receiver, which means he's just taking him away. And if you really think that Marshall's going to be a lockdown corner, then what that means is that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for interceptions on the other side of the field. So in terms of breakouts, in terms of guys who are going to have big games, those sorts of things, I think Moore or Kimber are going to have an opportunity for interceptions. The question is going to be, can they get them? I think they will. I think those guys are going to be put in positions where they're coached to be aggressive, where they're coached not to worry about missing missing a tackle or, or going after it and actually trying. I think Armstrong is going to bring that same aggressive attitude to the corners and the defensive backs. And so to me, with Jaden Hill moving to the inside, you've got somebody else opposite Marshall. If Marshall can shut things down, all of a sudden you get a bunch of balls going there to the outside. A bunch of 50-50 balls are going to be thrown up in one-on-one coverage, and those guys are going to have to high point it. That's something they've definitely been working on. So I think, you know, you, you think about what does it mean for somebody to break out on defense. I mean, it's like a linebacker going for 100 tackles or it's a corner getting four or five, six picks. And I think there's going to be opportunities for those guys on the other side of Marshall to bring in those INTs. A couple in the comments here from Brandon. He says, Dark Horse breakout players, Chris McClellan. I almost went uh, with McClellan. I almost went where Chris Orley went. Sap. Hey, I picked Sap last year. So uh, it would kind of be natural if I did so this year. Maybe I was a year early on, on, on Sap. But I'm going to go Caleb Banks, uh, the transfer from Louisville. The reviews have been off the charts. Uh, if you talk to people close to the program about his transformation, body transformation coming from Louisville and just what he's been able to do athletically uh, up front, they can move him around a bit too. I think he's a, a, a guy they'll move around a bit to have some mismatches uh, w- w- with him. They love what he's been doing all throughout spring, all throughout fall camp as well. Uh, um, it's it's funny that a lot of the comments here went defensive front. I'm going defensive front as well, uh, just because uh, McClellan uh, in his second year, learning from his freshman, his freshman, his freshman reps that he can now put together. That he's somebody I, I honestly really really think that it could break out uh, in his second year. Sap, as I said, maybe I was a year too early on him. Uh, I like you know now his move kind of more towards the the edge role as well, uh, in that in that hand in the dirt defensive end. Uh, but man, I, I'm going Caleb Banks transfer from Louisville. You know, it would be a breakout. Did not play a whole lot at Louisville, uh, and now comes to Florida to to you know 
make make, make more of his more make more of his opportunity here uh, at the bigger schools. So, all right, let's keep it going. That's good for our players, the ultimate game changer and breakout player. Will I'll, go, I'll start with you again? What is your key game for the Gators in this twenty twenty three season? I think it's Tennessee. I think mm. I think they're going to be gettable. I think Milton isn't going to be as good as Hooker. I think their defense is going to struggle because the 2021 recruiting class is just missing in action. They've tried to paper it over with with transfers. Um, the games in Gainesville, we forget because Tennessee won last year. I think a lot of people forget because Tennessee won last year that Florida's won like 37 straight against them. And I'm picking UF to go to Utah and, and make that a really good game. And if they end up pulling out the win there, that means a 4-0 start if they get that game against Tennessee as well. The schedule's highly backloaded, which means early season wins are going to be at a premium. And you think about that. Kentucky is probably a toss-up game. Vanderbilt should be a win. South Carolina, okay. Now, I mean, if you're coming into that one, you know, 6-0, and all of a sudden the season looks really different. So to me, it, like let's say they go out and they lose a close one to Utah and then they recover and win that one against Tennessee. They're still 3-1 and going into Kentucky with a loss on the road against a top-10 team. I think you feel really good about that. Let's say they beat Utah. Well, now you're 4-0 going into Kentucky if you beat Tennessee, feeling really good about yourself. I think the the Tennessee game is the fulcrum, that if they lose that game, so let's say they lose to Utah and lose to Tennessee. Well, now you got two wins against Cupcakes, two losses against decent teams going in against Kentucky. That's not a must-win game. So to me, the Tennessee game is the one where everything sort of – it's the fulcrum where everything goes. If you're going to have an over 500 season, if you're going to have a season where you play in a good bowl game, or maybe even a special season where we don't really expect it to be, but you sort of get the momentum going, everybody gets some confidence in Mertz, um, the defense is playing above its head, and and now you're sitting there going to the Georgia game with one or two losses, feeling like you have an opportunity to beat the Bulldogs, as opposed to what it could be if you end up starting with a loss against Utah and a loss against Tennessee. Things could fall apart pretty quickly. So to me, that game against the Vols, because it's at home, because it's early for, for Milton, because Milton's not going to be as good as Hooker, because the Tennessee defense doesn't really have the personnel that I think is necessary, especially on the back end, that Florida should be able to get some big plays. And it's just hard to play in the swamp. you got to win the games that are at home. Billy Napier didn't necessarily do that last year. He's going to have to do it this year. you got to win the games in the swamp when you have the opportunity. So to me, the Tennessee game is the key, and, and it's not particularly close for anything else. I think that's the one where if we win that Tennessee game, if Florida wins that Tennessee game, the whole season looks different. It's Kentucky for me. Uh, since recent history has shown it's Kentucky for me, it, it, it's kind of a barometer of how far the season will go. Uh, you go to 2018 and you lose to a good Kentucky team. So that, you know, Florida lost to a good Kentucky team and went on to have a, a, a good season. Uh, recent losses to Kentucky, you know, that Kentucky hasn't been as good as they were in 2018. And it's kind of signaled the type of team Florida uh, would, would go on to have. Um, the year Dan Mullen gets fired, lose to Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, that was not a great Kentucky team. And it ends up not being a great Florida team. Last year, lost to Kentucky. Not a really good Kentucky team. Ends up being a not really good Florida Florida team at the same time. So uh, I think it tells us a lot about where Florida is if wh wh whatever the, the result is versus uh, versus Kentucky. And we'll go into your point. The games before that, you know, Utah, okay, you know, win or lose us at a conference. You lose to, you lose to Tennessee. It is, I think, desperation mode uh, in conference already. You can't start conference 0-2. Uh, you can, I think, get some good feelings by going on the road 
uh, and, and beating Kentucky. You got Vanderbilt the next week. It gives a, a good chance if you beat Kentucky to get two wins in a row, uh, get something building going into that South Carolina game. Um, but then I think there's a, some desperation uh, right here. If you, it, it, and then if you do beat Tennessee, I think it's time for Florida to put something together that they couldn't do last year. Every time when there was some momentum last year, Florida fell on their face. You beat Utah, but then you lose to lose to Kentucky. You beat um, uh, Texas A&M and South Carolina, but you couldn't hold that momentum. I, I think you know, if you beat Tennessee, then you got to go to Lexington a couple weeks later and do something you couldn't do last year, and that's just kind of build on some momentum uh, right here. I think you know if you beat Tennessee and then rolled to Lexington and beat Kentucky, well, then I think you're staring your third win third conference win right in the face by going to Vanderbilt the very next week. So uh, I just think where Florida has been recently and what that Kentucky game has meant for the type of season Florida will have, I think that key game's Kentucky. And now, never in my wildest imagination would I thought I'd pick Kentucky to be a key game for Florida. But recent history, recent history has kind of changed that. I refuse to admit that t- <laughs> the Kentucky is a key game. I, I just think that five games in, we're going to know. Yeah. Like I think the first four games are going to tell us everything we need to know. I think they're going to plow through Chattanooga and 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 the other cupcake. I think Utah Charlotte, and Tennessee. Charlotte and McNeese. Yeah, Charlotte and, and McNeese. I think they're going to plow through them. I think Utah and Tennessee are going to tell us a lot about the team. And I think by the time you get to that Kentucky game, you're going to know, right? And and that to me is why that Tennessee game. The Tennessee game is going to tell me everything that I need to know about the 2023 Gators. I think win or lose, and maybe it's a close one, maybe they end up losing it, and that still tells me something about it. I, I think we are going to learn exactly what the team is in a home game against a team that's been second in the East. They've heard all the hype. They've heard people say that Billy Napier, you know, you had Stuart Mandel saying Napier's going to get fired after this year. Yeah. You got guys picking Florida to go 3-9, and nine, all that sort of stuff. They've heard it, and the Utah game is sort of an opportunity to go out and beat a Pac-12 team, but let's be honest, nobody in the SEC really respects the Pac-12, and so to go f- against the team that everybody's picking second, that's saying, "Hey, these guys might even have a chance to win the SEC," all that sort of stuff, and and to have them in your house after a close game last year, and sort of, you know, I, I I think that to me, I just look at it and I say, "That's the fulcrum. We will know who we have, who this team is after the third week of the season, and hopefully, the answer to that is a really good football team." But we'll know one way or the other, and so that's sort of why I picked that one. All right, good stuff right there. So, all right, here we go in the episode. Well, I think you already have it in your preseason magazine, but uh, record prediction for the Gators this 2023 season. Has it changed, I guess, from maybe when you did put the mag out in May? So I honestly don't remember what I picked them. I know we had win, <laughs> lose, and toss, and then yeah, we yeah. have something where we picked the SEC. Um, I well, think now, I have- don't let me steal your thunder now. If you're going to do this and read and reaction, don't let me – no, no, no. Okay. So I, I have them at eight and four. Okay. I, I know Florida has the flaws, but one of the things I've had this toss up series going on over at Reading Reaction, and it's fun because everybody always gets mad at me because they think I'm negative towards Florida. It's just because I'm critical, right? And so when I started to take that same critical lens to Tennessee and the same critical lens to Kentucky and the same critical lens to Utah and the same critical lens to Florida State, you all of a sudden go, there's a real opportunity here for Florida to win some of these games. Like this isn't something where it's just like they're going to roll over and die. And every one of these teams is just like heads and shoulders better than them. So I have them at eight and four. I think Utah and Tennessee are very gettable games. I think Kentucky, South Carolina, Arkansas, Mizzou, and Vanderbilt are also, 
LSU, you and I talked last week. I think they're going to take a step back. Georgia's tough. FSU, though, was a one-score game last year, and really a lot of things went in the Knowles' direction. So I think there's a lot of toss-up games this year. And mm-hmm. really, when you get when you get into those toss-up games, the culture that Napier is building that everyone's been talking about, I think you start to wonder whether that starts to pay off, right? That, that all of a sudden, you have the ability to go out there and win a couple of those one-score games, and you have a season where you go 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one in those one-score games. And that doesn't make me feel great about looking back and saying, is that something that's sustainable but i think these people picking them to go three and nine are crazy i really do i just don't think that's even remotely close to reality five and a half is the over under for the 12 game schedule which means you're literally looking at six and six do i think they're better than that yeah and if i pick them at 30 points per game and 25 points against which is kind of what we had them for in the over under statistically that's 7.1 and 4.9 is their record so they're seven and five if -hmm. they do that so if they pull off one more one score win than than nor than you would expect than they're eight and four. So I'm giving them eight and four based on culture and based on uh, based on the fact that I think there are some of these teams that have some holes that everyone's overlooking because of what happened last year. You always see this, right? Like, oh, Tennessee was good last year, and we're ignoring the decade of history where they were really bad, and they happen to have a transcendent quarterback who's no longer there. And it's like, what happened at Florida when Tim Tebow left? What happened at Alabama when 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 uh, when Tua left? Well, that's a bad example. You don't want to use Alabama, but <laughs> what were they saying about Tennessee a year ago? Oh yeah, wondering if they'd even be able to beat Florida. Like, yeah. are they going to be able to take the next step? All those sorts of things, right? So, uh, yeah, I just look at it and I go, everybody gets excited because they took a step forward, but success is rarely linear, and I think neither is failure, right? Failure is not usually linear either, unless you're Willie Taggart. So, I, I think you know, look, eight and four is is where, what I'm going. I think that's me being a little bit optimistic, but seven and five, I think, is probably the floor. If they go six and six or five and seven, I'd be really surprised. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm going. I, I am. I, I've been torn, uh, and I've been waffling between seven and five, eight and four. And I'm going to stick to. I'm going to stick to my guns for what I've always told myself. And if everybody, if you've listened to Gators Breakdown long enough, you know I got the rule. Uh, if it's really close, if it's like a tie, and I'm I'm waffling back and forth. That's when my fandom takes over. So seven and five, eight and four, Phantom takes over. I'm going eight and four as well, Will. Um, I just think, you know, when you take a look at the schedule, and I think if you break it down, uh, I, I like Florida versus Utah. I don't think they beat both Tennessee and Kentucky, so I got the one loss there. The one loss already pits one into Georgia as well, so there's two. Uh, and then I have a hard time thinking Florida goes to LSU and wins right now. It's just going into the season. I can't pick that either. I don't like really going game by game. That's why I put the group of Tennessee and Kentucky in there. I don't know which one I see Florida losing Tennessee or Kentucky. Uh, but I don't think they beat both of them. Lose, lose to Georgia, lose at LSU, uh, and then probably somewhere along the way that you probably wouldn't guess. You know, South Carolina. I, I don't think they lose to Vandy. You know, Arkansas the week after Georgia's tricky. The trip to Missouri is tricky. Florida State I think will be good. Uh, that's where that's where I, I see the fourth loss there, but. We'll go into your point, the, the culture, what Billy Napier is building, the, the care, the brotherhood, the camaraderie you know, for this team. I do, I do think that goes a long way. You have the natural progression from year one to year two. I know there's a lot of new faces. I think that actually helps Florida in some ways. This is a new era of college football with transfer portal and young guys making contributions. I like what Florida's added and how they're going to use the new faces uh, through the 
transfer portal as these freshmen as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, seven and five, eight and four, I waffle, but I'm letting the fandom take over. I get, I go, I go to the eight and four mark for the Gators as well. I gotta be honest, man. If they get that Tennessee game, that's why I think that one's so critical. If yep. they get that Tennessee game, they're, I mean, unless they do something stupid, and look, they did some stuff stupid last year, but unless they do something stupid, they're gonna end up eight and three going to that Florida State game. Like, just you start looking at that schedule, and you go Georgia, LSU. Kentucky, maybe a Utah loss, like, but you know, the Tennessee game sort of sets you up to where if you win the games you should, you're eight and three going to that game against Florida State. I think all of us right now, if you said, give me eight and three heading into that Florida State game, would you take it? I'm taking that in a heartbeat, right? Yes. In terms of like success for the season, <laughs> yes. I think that's a distinct possibility. So um, draft, the, draft the contract right now, Will, and I will sign it. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, and, and again, I, I mean, I hate to get way out all, over my skis, but I I think I think Utah is gettable, too. And all of a sudden, Utah, Tennessee, you're getting off to a start that just basically puts you in a position where there's no possible way you're going five and seven. And I do think, you know, it's funny. I think in the past, um, I've sort of poo-pooed the idea that recruits look at results on the field and make decisions on that. But I do think that in some cases, once you start getting to that second year in the third recruiting class, yeah, especially sure. the fourth recruiting class, yep. people start looking at the results. So you look at sort of the uptick at Florida State this year in recruiting. It's definitely better than it has been for the last four or five years there. Some of that has to do with the fact that they went 10 and three last year. So are you going to get people to pop, particularly for 2025, if you start out 4 and 0, 5 and 0, 6 and 0? Yeah, you'll have an opportunity to do that and really sort of get the buzz back in Gainesville that hasn't been there for a while. Um, so I look. I think there's an opportunity for this team to overperform significantly. I think looking at that schedule with the two cupcakes early on, I think it's probably even if they were two and two heading into that Kentucky game. I get that they're desperate, but you'd still sort of be sitting there going, "Okay, like there's still an opportunity to salvage something here." Um, so it going really bad early on, I think, is probably not going to happen. Like if they had Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee in the first two months of the season or the first month and a half of the season, I'd be like, all right, this could go south real quick. But they don't really have that kind of schedule where it's going to go south real quick. So I'm 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 excited to see where it's going to go. I, I've I started out really not optimistic, hoping that we had a different option at quarterback for a really long time. And I think I've sort of gotten to the point now where I think they can find their way around that. Um, and, and that all these other teams have some flaws in their roster they may be able to take advantage of. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to have a pretty successful season. Who will? Man, next time we get together, there will be a game game played. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get, let's get that dig in. Let's, uh, let's get the guys safe through the hurricane because they're going to be flying yeah. back at, or flying out. Hopefully, you know, yeah, we'll, see, we'll take the schedule changes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I got my parents coming up here. They're already just planning on getting stuck. So, uh, you know, hopefully those guys get out there a little bit early now so that they can get ready for that game. Get acclimated to the uh, to the to the altitude out there. So, uh, you know, last year Utah came into the swamp and we were all like, you've never experienced that heat. Uh, it'll be interesting when these guys go out there because the altitude does make a difference, I'm sure. Um, you know, having some guys sucking on oxygen on the on the sideline, especially in the first half. No, I think it will have an effect. I won't. You will never hear me say Florida loses the game because of altitude. <laughs> so, you know, if Florida loses the game, I'll say, okay, Utah was a better team. Uh, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, we, not a few more days. We're closer to the games on Thursday. Uh, just ready for it. You know, we're we're getting in our groove right here. Uh, a little bit different groove with the uh, Thursday start. But uh, hey, we know uh, we'll have it covered. Uh, another episode of Utah preview this week, of course. Uh, that'll be out. 
probably Tuesday evening. Uh, and then got to see. Got to see how we're feeling. Maybe, you know, a little rehash Thursday night, definitely by Friday for sure. But uh, there we go, Will. We got, we, we got some football this week, my friend. Yeah, man, you and me both. So toss-up series is over at Read and Reaction if you want to check it out. Also, I'll have a preview up, hoping to get that up tonight, but we'll see. And then, uh, you know, yeah, we do post games over there every day. So I took Friday off intentionally so I can stay up late on Thursday and get everybody yep. a breakdown of what was going on, what went on during the game, all that sort of stuff. And, and our Patreon, we do a little uh, post game afterwards, a little 15, 20 minutes, just sort of initial reactions. You can check that out over there as well. So, uh yeah, man, it's gonna be a fun week. Busy, busy, busy season for us now coming yeah. up, but uh, yeah, yeah. but it's fun, right? It's fun. So beats the beats the crap out of talking about recruiting in March. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank, hey, thank God for the uh, great, great summer on the recruiting trail. But hey, you and I both, we this 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 is our time. This three four month window right here is where we where where, where we live. So Tell you, man, August thirty first is Christmas. It is Christmas <laughs> yeah. for people like us. <laughs> hopefully the best presence in the world this time so <laughs> yeah i'll take All a win right. that'd be great <laughs> there we go there we go that will do it for this episode of gators breakdown as well miles you can find him at a site readandreaction.com him and nick newton do a great job there they'll have you covered this season as well as here on gators breakdown i am your host david waters you can find me on social media at gator dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thank you for joining us of this episode of gators breakdown